You've stopped in at the guidepost. Brought to you by the American Saltwater Guides Association. Stock up on gear, grab a coffee at the counter, and get ready to hear incredible fish stories from the best captains on the East Coast and thought-provoking conversations with stakeholders and policymakers working to protect these fisheries. This podcast is presented by Costa Sunglasses. Bye. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Season 2 of the guide post brought to you by Costa Del Mar, our awesome sponsor. And remember, before I get this thing started, uh, you have any questions, any thoughts, any comments on anything in this podcast or previous podcast, just send an email to comments at saltwaterguidesassociation.org. And if we read them uh, on the podcast, you will win yourself a brand new pair of Costa Del Mar's. So, um, I'm not going to talk a lot on this one. I know it's a shock to everyone. We're here to talk about redfish. We got two awesome guests. Um, you know, uh, redfish seem like they're gaining a tremendous amount of popularity. It's an awesome fish. It's tough as nails. Uh, eat just about anything. Fights like a pit bull. Uh, love us some redfish over here at the Guides Association. So it just so happens my first guest here, um, my buddy Blaine Chocolate was just on the cover of Fly Fisherman magazine uh, with a story about our friend, the redfish. Tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about that one, Blaine. Yeah. Hey, Tony, how are you, man? I'm doing okay, man. How was the hike with the family today? Was it good? Yeah, it was good. Yeah. I just got back from actually redfishing for a week and doing a little bit of a photo shoot and stuff. So um trying to give them redfish uh, as much publicity as we can to try to you know the stuff that we're tra- trying to do to try to protect them all the stuff going on all over the country uh had a great hike with the family we got away got on got on the brook trout stream and you know got to back to the roots where i started fly fishing took tyler to the first place i ever caught a trout on a fly rod um so he got to see all that kind of stuff it was, it was a beautiful day we had a great time um, that's awesome yeah, it's just really cool seeing all the, you know, the the changes being in the mountains where I live and then being down on the coast and, you know, seeing the diversity that we have uh, in the state of Virginia. It's it's amazing. Um, and it's definitely worth saving. And that's what that's what we're here to do. Right. Um, yeah. And getting to, get to that article, you know, uh, definitely was blessed to be on the cover, but more importantly, um, was able to talk about redfish and how important they are to our country and to all the guide friends I know across our country, um, from Virginia to, or Maryland, you name it, South Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Florida, Texas, you name it, Louisiana, Mississippi, you know, uh, up by me now, man. I mean, you know know that you're up by me. Yeah, All I would be surprised that they keep heading north a little bit, you know, um, which th- that adds a whole nother problem with protection and all kinds of stuff, right? Yeah. So, oh, God. Uh, Man, I hope they stop at Jersey. I, I, yeah. I hope they stop, like, right on the north end of Delaware. God help them if they get into Jersey. Um, yeah. So, you know, Blaine, you and I have fished an awful lot of places for uh, for redfish, you know, Gulf of Mexico, Florida, in our, in our home, st- well, our our states where we live, your home state. Um, I've never fished in Georgia for redfish. I've fished right on the border in South Carolina and, and a little bit further south in Florida. I never fished in Georgia. And our our next guest up here 
is Captain Scott Owens, and his home is Georgia, and uh, and they're trying to do something pretty cool uh, to 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 help their redfish populations out. So, Scott, how are you doing? Tell us a little bit about yourself, and let's let's get into some Georgia redfish. Hey, Tony. Hey, Blaine. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Tony. Um, well, yeah, you know, I've been a, a full-time guide here for, you know, 20 years, been a guide for over 25 years. And I have, uh, you know, just just watched the fish explode. That's the only, only way I know how to say it. I mean, they are one of the coolest fish out there. And I think, uh, as Blaine's article showed, I mean, they're the number one saltwater fish. I mean, it, it is it is undeniable that people fish all up and down the eastern seaboard for them. Uh, they're finding them in new places, all in the Gulf of Mexico. I mean, they're just a great fish. And Georgia, even though we've got such a, a small coast, you know, it's about 100 miles, we've got a one-third of the uh, of the salt marsh on the east coast. And, and it's just, it screams redfish. And uh, it, it used to be full of redfish. Uh, creeks and the flats, we had a, an amazing bull red fishery this time of year, which we still do have. But you know, it's, it's not even thriving like it was before. So what, what we've done is, uh, you know, we've really been looking at the, the overall stocks of the fish from a guide's perspective and, and, and putting thousands and thousands of days on the water and realizing that there's been a decline. And, um, you know, I, what I've seen is that it really started back, I guess, that 2011, 12 freeze that, that, that hit Florida so hard. I noticed, uh, you know, the flats started thinning out. And, uh, you know, it hit us hard here in Georgia, but since then, I mean, it's just, we've seen a steady decline on the flats in the creeks and whatnot. And, you know, there are people out there that, that are, that are in disagreement with that, but, you know, I, I'd welcome them on my, on my boat any day of the week, uh, as you know, many, many other guides would as well. I mean, what we're seeing is a, is a, you know, a, a spawn stock of, of fish every year. And, and that spawn stock of fish rolls in in what's known as redfish season. And, you know, we hear that at the marina. It's kind of funny. I mean, red fishing here is a year-round fishery. Um, it always has been. And, and hopefully with this this effort that everyone has put forth and, and the proposal that DNR has put forward, it'll, it'll continue to be that way. But, um, you know, redfish spawn in the late summer months of August, early September. And, and by the following year, we start seeing smaller fish in, in what Georgia's slot is, which is 14 inches. We start seeing those fish in September, um, you know, 14, 15 inch fish. And those are fish that were spawned the previous year and they just get annihilated in the creeks. I mean, before they even ever make it out of the creeks and onto the flats, they just get decimated. And, and we're seeing that with data that's been provided to us from the DNR where they have, tons of information on fish from 14 to 17 inches and very little information on fish 17 and above inches. And that's from a bunch of different surveys they do, but, you know, a carcass survey and angler survey and stuff like that. Um, it, it's a fishery that has been quoted by Scott. You want to know something you know, crazy? Uh, You're not, wait, so we're look, okay. This is coming out. Uh, everyone don't freak out. But this is we're going to talk a whole, a awful lot more about this in the upcoming weeks. But we were reading the redfish stock assessment for the coast. Um, you know, oh yeah, Georgia Georgia does a lot of work uh, in state waters. Okay, 
but the reality is is um redfish are managed by the atlantic states marine fisheries commission and then they give each state uh a certain number of redfish that can be harvested in a year and then whatever that state does with the regulations is whatever that state does to meet that that target of harvest you know given out by the commission so the stock assessments coming out they're working on it and uh some of the comments during the peer review process um first of all it's not a stock assessment scott it's a simulation it's a simulation yeah, yeah i don't like that word not in either i freaked out actually when i saw it and uh so on this simulation it's because no one can harvest redfish over 27 inches on the atlantic coast no no real commercial fishery outside of north carolina they can't no one can kill bull reds so we don't know how many we're catching like no idea there's a long line survey in north carolina one state one i mean we have have no idea how many adult fish are out there so uh that's right we're actually working with that board at the commission with the technical committee and the board and they're going to give us uh the data that needs to be collected basically that you could collect for us if you wanted we send those uh, into I the would managers be happy to, to get involved yeah. with that oh absolutely so it's just and it's easiest here's the information they need how long was the fish you released? That's it. That's the only thing that they have. Th that would help immensely. So it's not just Georgia, right? That like doesn't know the size of these fish. Um, you know, if bad data is going in, bad data is going to come out. Uh, so and yeah. I just I just wanted to point that out that it's it's a huge struggle um, everywhere, almost for every species, and. The one thing that I can say that, and the reason that you're on the podcast and the, and the other guys have been on the podcast, y'all are trying to do proactive management. Like, okay, That's so let's, right. I, I'm not a, I will do really, really dumb things. Blaine and I always say, if you, if you want to be dumb, you got to be tough. We always talk about riding the struggle bus together. Uh, we don't do anything easy. I'm not jumping out of an airplane. I'm not going to do it. I mean, if I, if it was my job, sure. But like for re recreationally, no fricking, uh, -uh. so why, why, why would you manage on the edge? Right. Why wouldn't you manage precaution if you don't know how many fish are out there? Isn't it better to kind of be a little on the safe side? That's what y'all are doing in Georgia. So, you know, what's, what's the situation and, and how can people, you know, how can people lend a hand to you guys down there? Scott, so, uh, so I got a question go ahead, for you. What? So what? What do you? I have a couple of things that I have a, a few concerns about. What I've seen the past couple of times I've been on our our coastal flats here. Um, I'd, I'd like to hear what you say would be some of the top reasons you think that the, the decline is happening, other than you know weather issues and and you know the the freezes and stuff like that. Or I mean. Are you when they say redfish season? Are you just seeing people just? I've got a bunch of friends in South Carolina that um, they've seen the same kind of deal declines in their particular areas uh, on red fisheries, um, and they pretty much quit guiding for them. I mean, they're they're doing other stuff. Uh, so I'd love to hear what you what you got to say about it. Yeah. So I mean, basically, what you just said is exactly what's happened with me. So 
um, I've pretty much stopped doing shallow water redfish trips. Um, you know, we've got a, a, we had a good spawn last year and, uh, there, there are a bunch of fish in the, in the creeks right now, but you know, the, the lack of fish has driven me. I mean, you see my skiff behind me. I mean, it's, you know, it sits in the garage more than it leaves the garage now, unfortunately. Um, but I, I think it's a culmination of things, you know, I think up and down the coast, I think the fact that Georgia alone has had a 40% increase, um, in, in fishing effort in the last 10 years with no regulation changes in 20 years is, uh, is huge. I mean, that just, it doesn't add up to me. Um, you know, if, I mean, think about it this way, if we went to the grocery store and, and, you know, they stocked, you know, a hundred steaks on the shelf and we had 50 people going in and buying two steaks each, um, you know, everything would be fine. But when those hundred steaks are always there and that number of people going in and buying, you know, two steaks each goes up, we got to, we got to do something. We got to figure out a way to, to make sure that there, there's, there's something out there to continue to, to stock it. And, you know, it brings me to a good point, Tony. Um, you know, right now I, I commend the DNR for what they've proposed. I mean, right now we're at five fish per person with no, with no boat limits. And, um, the DNR has proposed a, a, a three fish limit, uh, per person with a nine fish per boat. And, and although myself, I disagree with it. I think it should be, uh, more along South Carolina's limits, which is the two fish per person with a boat limit of six. Um, you know, I, I'm happy to see change and I'm, I, and I'm excited to see the DNR being a little proactive because the science shows that there's just an overwhelming number of people on the water now. And, and I see it every day. I mean, there's a Creek here in coastal Georgia called Christmas Creek. And, uh, you had to know exactly what you were doing to go in Christmas Creek, uh, many, many years ago. And if you saw two or three other people in there, they were generally guide boats or, I hate to use the term old timer because I'm getting there, but or they were old timers that have been fishing in there since they were kids. And, um, you know, you go in that creek now on a, on a Friday or Saturday or Sunday, and there's anywhere from 15 to 25 boats in there. Um, you know, it, it's incredible at the pressure that is being put on the coast. It really is. And, and I think what the DNR has proposed is a good start. I really do. Um, I think it's, it's in the middle there to where it's trying to keep everybody happy in a way. And, uh, but I also think that it's a good step to avoid any catastrophic changes that we could see, you know, by what Tony was talking about, which is that regional stock assessment. Um, hey, I don't you want know, to go let me, running let on me here tell too you, long, Scott, but yep. No, listen, you, <laughs> we're saying this is proactive management. I'm here to tell you, you don't want to be us, you know, like, we tried for proactive management. Everyone said, you're crazy, chicken little, sky's falling. You're not good fishermen. We can go, oh, we're catching them. And even today, <laughs> you know, there's certain yep. areas that have, there's certain areas that have local, really good striped bass fishing right now. But the th problem is what nobody remembers 20 years ago, we all had good striped bass fishing. Yeah. We we're catching them everywhere. That's right. It's, it's localized. Yep. And it's yeah, localized so like, now. And, and that's okay. So they're pounding on them right now between, you know, like they were up in Massachusetts. They're filtering out of Massachusetts. They're Montauk and they just kind of popped in New Jersey last night. So, like, okay. How was the fishing a month ago, Jersey? Right. Not too many fish around. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's all I can say is, um, 
you know, it, I, y'all are just starting. You, you're, you're just starting down this road, right? Yeah, I, and I mean, you just said it. So you're, you're the you're the second person that has said to me in two weeks, you don't want to be us. Um, nah. Captain Benny Blanco just told nah. me that he goes, you know, and, and he told a, a, one of our local representatives. You don't want to be us. You don't want to be Florida down the road where you're going, God, I wish we'd have done more. Um, you know, and, and that's the thing. I mean, find find somebody that's that's an older individual that's been fishing a certain area for decades. Talk to them. And I guarantee you they're not going to tell you it's better now than it was decades ago. And when you ask them, well, man, what what would you have done different? They all preach converse, or conservation in their own way. It may not be to the extent, but they all preach conservation. They wish they would have let more go, or they wish they would have practiced better, you know, uh, catch and release tactics and whatnot. Um, you know, I'll tell you what's crazy, Tony, right here in Georgia is, is that the, what's trying to be changed right now, the DNR is trying to do in a way that, like we said, it's, 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 we're trying to be proactive, but this should have been done years ago. We saw declines, heavy declines years ago. But they're trying to do the right thing now. It's not supposed to be political. Yet all of a sudden, the last two meetings, we've had representatives, state representatives, at the meetings, and they're they've you know they've I've had one of them say you know nobody's fished more than me on the Georgia coast. I've had another one tell me that you know his constituents are a hundred percent against this, and you know I know for a fact they're not because I know his constituents and. Um, and the one that says he spent more days on the water than anybody else, he put that on Facebook. I mean, he put it out there on Facebook with another captain here. And I don't know, maybe he does. I, I can't question that. I know that in the last 20 years, I've probably averaged between 175 and 300 days, you know, a year on the water. And uh, 20 years, that adds up. So unless somebody's a full-time guide, I, I mean, man, if the working class man's figured out how to cash a check and go fishing three to five days a week. I need to know what job he's got. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, um, so it always, you know, Scott, like it's, uh, all these things follow the same path. Right. And, and, you know, there it's also touch and go, and it's it's a it's definitely a marathon. It's not a sprint. And y'all are, you know, y'all are chugging along. You're doing a hell of a, hell of a good job with this effort. Um, I appreciate it for one. But at any point in time, and I think y'all realize this, like the carpet can just be pulled out from under you, right? Like, whoop, there goes the rug. Better luck's next time, yep. boys. And you can feel that. And that's why, you know, uh, I, I talked to Jared the other day. Um, uh, one of your, one of your kind of partners in all of this, and he was discouraged. I mean, he was, he was a little down in the dumps cause there were, there was a little bit of a setback. And, uh, and I told him everything that we had lost in the last like two months. And I was like, man, you know, doesn't matter like just don't go away keep fighting right it's worth it e e even if you lose it doesn't mean you lost the war it just means you lost a battle you, you keep grinding at it um you know th the coolest thing about redfish but let me actually take a step back what other fisheries are on decline scott because 
this is why I ask. You know, it started with us. It started with one little thing disappearing. And then it was another and another. And then one, one year it was the seagrass. And then the next year it was like, oh, man, all the clams are gone. And then it was, uh, hey, where, where'd the weak fish go? And it just kept going and go. But as we lost one, all the effort, like you're saying, you're talking about effort. That's what scientists call it. Efforts up 40%. Regulations haven't changed. But what you don't think about is when you lose one species, the effort shifts to another. And then it just starts, it starts going into a funnel and you have one or two left and all the efforts just piled on them. And that's, that's what happened to striped bass for us. We lost so many other species, you know, there was nothing else to fish for. Yep. Well, and to answer Blaine's question earlier, because I didn't get around to that, but here's a prime example. I mean, when fuel prices years ago got up to five plus dollars a gallon, we saw a huge shift of offshore fishermen moving into inshore. They sold their offshore boats. They bought bay boats, flats boats, and they moved into the inshore waters and started fishing. We're looking at that same you know, pressure now between the red snapper closures, the seasonal closures on Cobia, um, you know, pretty much everything out there has got a seasonal closure. But, um, you know, we're looking at the same thing now. I've heard time and time again from some of these offshore guys that it's just not worth going anymore. And it's a long run out of here. Um, Georgia's a unique spot. You know, we sit further west than anywhere else on the East Coast. And it's, you know, it's a solid 70 plus miles to the Gulf Stream. Um, you know, so you're, we're, we are seeing more and more of those people, Blaine, come, uh, you know, come into the inshore waters and put more pressure on the inshore waters. Now they're talking about the you know, no bottom fishing due to the, the mortality rate of, of catch and release on the red snapper. There's a, a proposal, I think, for a 10 mile an hour max speed limit or a 10 knot max speed um, out to, you know, I think it's 10, 15, 20 nautical miles during certain times of the year for the right whales. Um, you know, those are, those are things that are going to push more people to fish in inshore waters. And it's not just our red fishery that we've seen decline. You talk to these these gentlemen around here, I don't get any positivity about the fishery today compared to what it was 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Um, you know, it, it's the I always want to think that there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but I think we just have to do better and we have to do more. And, um, you know, what we have here on the Georgia coast is a very unique estuary. We have huge tides. We get good, clean flushes of water. We don't get the algae blooms and the stuff like they see down in, in Florida. And, and we're lucky for that because, man, I tell you, if we had some algae blooms here, it, it'd be over. It would be catastrophic, just like it was in Southwest Florida. Um, and so we got to treat it right. We, it's certainly not on the visually the catastrophic level that you would see, um, you know, when, when Laco discharges that water and, and some of our closest friends, when we were talking before we, we hopped on, or was you actually, you brought him up here in the podcast, Benny, some of our closest friends in conservation are Benny and captains for clean water. So I'm not, not taking anything away from them. When we get heavy snowpack in the winter and, or, or just, you know, flooding rains, seems like we have a hundred year rain every six or seven years now. Um, the the silt that comes out of pennsylvania you can see it from space like when we get satellite pictures of the chesapeake bay in the spring you'll see a mud plume that goes for like 85 miles and 
the the bay because it's a funnel bay there's you know this thing called the coriolis effect saltwater goes kind of up the east side freshwater goes down the west side so starting at the the bay the mid bay bridge um all the way down to the mouth of the potomac which is like another 90 miles uh if you're deeper than like 22 feet on the west side it's dead it's a hypoxic zone like nothing can live so it's just we just have these huge swaths so that means the whole benthic community every every worm every little shrimp crab whatever if they can't get to the they're dead it's, it just scours life so um so yeah man when you're talking about like algae blooms and stuff like we're it's it sucks um it like it really really oh, yeah. sucks uh yeah so y'all have a meeting coming up October 25th if if uh that's right my brain still that's working right. okay um and in talking with some of your counterparts here um they want uh as many people as possible to show up uh last meeting didn't go as as good as uh as everyone had hoped and this is kind of y'all's last chance to get this this limit that's five currently five fish bump down to to three fish right that is right yeah and i mean we want everybody that can attend the meeting to attend i mean it's just going to be tough we know for a lot of people it's it's going to be tuesday the 25th at 9 a.m um and you can get details on that uh at the um on the website i, I think you're going to have that on the um you know with the podcast but there's there's all kinds of information i want to bring one thing up with, with the way that all of this is working is when you look at, and you guys already know this, but when you look at, you know, Florida, South Carolina, let's just go ahead and go to North Carolina. We can even hit Virginia. And you look at fish regulations overall, man, Georgia is in the stone ages. We really are. And, um, you know, we want to see this fishery thrive like it did years ago. Um, it, it brings huge economic impact um, to our coast, which is needed. Um, we're known for golf. We're known for industry. We have one of the largest carports here. Um, but, but more importantly, we need to be known for our, our waters and our fishery. Um, because like I said, it's one third of the salt marsh on the East coast and the DNR has tried their best to push this through and they're getting opposition from some politicians we've heard. I mean, it's, it's, it's coming through the grapevine and, and I hate to use the term hearsay, but We've heard that these politicians are, are, you know, basically telling the DNR they're going to take this ability away to make these changes from them where it has to go through legisla- legislation again. And um, that that just becomes a, a nightmare. And so quagmire, quagmire. What yeah, took a and, year and so, but will now take 15 yep, years, Scott. 15. And we've seen it and we've seen it in the past, Tony. And so here's something to think about. And this is something I think everybody that listens to this podcast needs to realize. One, I'm a fisher and a hunter. I believe in sustainable hunting and fishing. I'm not a catch and release angler hundred percent. I do not keep redfish, but that's because I've seen such a decline and they're my favorite little critter on the flat. But if Georgia doesn't make this change, this is something everybody needs to listen to and understand. Georgia doesn't make this change. You brought this up earlier. All right. What happened with weak fish in Georgia years ago, we were told by the regional stock assessment, when they did that, we were we were told by other states, you guys need to follow suit. We're allowing you to keep one weak fish per person. 
we went from 15 week fish down to one. All right. Now you guys, Tony, you guys love your bluefish up there. I hear. Hey, so my friend, uh, my buddy, when we were doing, we we're doing this huge meeting on Friday, had 24 people in the meeting. I was running it and my phone was going off mm -hmm. like crazy because he had just caught a 24 pound bluefish. And I had to like stop the meeting <laughs> well, and put my phone up in the screen. <laughs> and I'm like, man, Taylor just caught a 24 pound bluefish, man. Like or one of his buddies did. I don't know which, but, uh, but yeah, we love, they, I, I don't, Scott, I don't know about the fishery in Georgia. They can get real big uh, here. Well, let me I don't tell know you how big y'all catch them. So I'll tell you, they used to get big here. Um, I remember as a kid fishing in the surf at Matanzas Inlet. And this was, I don't even want to say how long ago, but 35 plus years ago. And uh, in the wintertime, we used to catch giant bluefish. I mean, you know, upper teens into the 20 pound range. And I hear stories how they used to catch them here like that on the local reefs, the same place we used to catch a lot of weak fish and we still catch some, but not like they used to, but, but here's something to think about. So the DNR is trying to make a change on these redfish. Okay. They're trying to be proactive. The last time the regional stock assessment got involved, we went from 15 weak fish to one per person. There was a lot of angry people at a meeting. I was there. Okay. Now they've gotten involved with bluefish. Now, most people in Georgia, don't care anything about bluefish. Most of them we call choppers. They're the little short ones. They bite the tail off your pogey while you're out there king fishing or tarpon fishing. But they just closed the harvest of bluefish in the month of March and April in the state of Georgia. They did that as a recommendation from the regional stock assessment. All right. In 2024, there's going to be a regional stock assessment done on red drum. What do you think is going to happen when they've taken us from 15 fish on weak fish down to one, and they've closed two entire months of the year on bluefish. Do you think they're going to go, you guys are fantastic, you know, keep killing five per person when Florida's at one, South Carolina's at two, North Carolina's at one, uh, Virginia, I believe, is at three? Or do you think they're going to tell us we need to make changes? I don't want to take that gamble. I would rather our state do the right thing and make that three fish limit if that's where we need to start with nine per boat i mean that's why i said i commend the dnr for doing that because they are trying to be proactive to keep possibly the regional stock assessment from telling us what we need to change it to scott it could be worse it could be five I, fish I and you get to, get to keep one over because that's what like you know that that's what all of our guys in louisiana are telling us right now they're like i mean let's be real look i hunt I can see the decoy right over my head, right? I mean, yeah, I, I have killed so many fish. I I have can't, couldn't even begin to remember. Uh, but um, I, big redfish are pretty gross. Uh, oh, yeah. kid, yeah, you know, it's like a, it's like telling you stories about Louisiana. <laughs> like, I don't know if you like worms. Uh, you know. I've been out with plenty of people and I'm like, wow, is that a worm in that filet? And they're like, yeah, you just cut around it. I'm like, I'm good. I'm sorry, man. Like you gotta, there's gotta be a limit like somewhere. <laughs> I'm not, I well, see Tony, a worm in a I filet mean, in and I'm like, I'm done. That's not, you know, Tony in Georgia, they just say it's extra protein. Oh God. Like, yeesh. Uh, no, man, I can't do it. I can't. There's a couple things I can't do. That's one of them. Um, so, uh, 
let me ask you a question. So, you know, you got this meeting October 25th. <clears throat> What's when will y'all find out where this is going? Is well, I guess if they're going to make regulations change, it's got to be soon so they can get because they got to do it well before the beginning of the year. Right. Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, we'd hope to see that change if they're going to make it. The, the question is, are they going to make that change? Um, you know, speaking with with Jared earlier, he said he's heard whispers, you know, of, of they may not actually make the decision at this coming meeting. And, um, you know, I think that would be devastating um, here again. I, I think that we uh, we really got to take into consideration what may happen if if the regional stock assessment makes the decision for us. And um, I think if they if they make a decision to make a change, it's supposed to be uh, in, in effect, I think, January 1st. And I think that would help tremendously because these little reds that are in the creeks right now, and there's a bunch of them around right now. There's nobody that can argue that. You know, there's guys in Savannah telling us right now that there's no problem with our red fishery. And I go and I kind of creep around their Facebook pages. Um, and, and, you know, I see pictures of, of a, a, a lot of dead redfish and they're all 14 to 16 inch, maybe 17 inch fish for the most part. Uh, they're, they're easier to catch a trout. And that's why these guys have, have gone that route. They're very predictable. They're in the same spot every day. They don't care if the water's clear. They don't care if it's muddy. They don't care if the current's running. The bottom line is they're going to eat. Um, and so they're, they're definitely easier to catch than trout and some of the other fish. But look, if they do make the change, Tony, you still can keep the, these guys that are worried about putting fish in the box. You can still keep 15 trout, 15 flounder, 15 black drum, 15 sheep's head in the state of Georgia. You know, the limits are very, very giving 15 sheep's head. A, a sheep's head has the same life cycle as like an elephant. Those things live forever, wow. man. Like it's like, 15 sheep I somebody could argue 15 trout to me they spawn like <laughs> rabbits they sexually mature early not like I think you need 15 12 inch trout right I mean let them grow up a little bit but like 15 sheep's well, head you, I mean have Jesus. you ever looked at the limits on in have you ever looked at the limits on sheep's head in Georgia no you said 15 that's what I'm saying that's unbelievable is that yeah, what it is but but I'm um, but it is 15 and and the better part is, and I wanted to check just to make sure I'm not wrong here. So I was going to pull it up really quick on fish rules, but uh, let's see here. If I'm not mistaken, I don't think they have to be, but 10 inches. Oh my let's God. See here. So we're talking regulation. So I have a couple of questions. <laughs> um, here goes, so, here goes so, Blaine. <laughs> all right. So it is 15 and 10, by the way. It's 15 per person, and the maximum size limit on a sheep's head has to be 10 inches. Oh. If anybody's ever cleaned a sheep's head, there's no meat on a 10-inch sheep's head. Yeah. So, um, obviously, I've, I've, my whole background's been guiding 32 years. Uh, my, all of it's been in freshwater in the mountains and streams, rivers, all that kind of stuff, lakes had to come down, you know, I've had to change my program, you know, to adapt to what's going on in my area. So, you know, the, the past three, four years, I've spent, been spending a lot of time in the salt. Um, you know, I used to just go do that for hosted trips or 
going and just hanging out and just experiencing the salt and loving it. But now I'm just looking at it as just seeing how viable that is. Um, so not knowing some of the regulations on not just recreation, like what we're talking about, but the commercial side of stuff. So, so I'm going and I'm, you know, I want to learn it the hard way. I want to go explore. I want to get my butt kicked. I want to figure it out. Cause I feel like I learn it better doing that. So I'm going to spots and I'm seeing fish. I'll go to spots. I don't see fish. And you look at tides, you, you, you look at all this kind of stuff. So I find it very interesting that, um, um, some of these prime spots that I'm finding, uh, that seem to be pretty consistent all of a sudden from last year, near the end of the season, I started seeing it. And now this year I've seen it a couple times. Uh, I've seen, uh, gill nets, um, strung out on flats, strung out at the mouth of creeks around spots where I, I was really catching, you know, seeing big schools of reds. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know what the regs are on that. I'm, I'm really curious to understand it personally um, because some of these spots I was really seeing a lot of a lot of schools of reds last year and earlier this year, and you know, then seeing gill nets put up and not seeing them anymore. Uh, I don't know if, if they're getting them. I don't know what's going on with it. It just seems it seems just it seems interesting that uh, you know you now you see them now you don't kind of thing. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, if that's if that's up and down the coast, if that's something that I should or shouldn't be worried about, I, I, obviously I, I, it just seems like like the other day we were on a flat, water's crystal clear, and there there was a gill net strung from the from the bank out to the end of the flat, basically cut, cutting the flat in half, and uh, not in the gill net, but off the off from the gill net, I saw like five five dead redfish, you know, in that 18 to 24 inch range, um, just dead on the, on the bottom, uh, and didn't see a live redfish that day on that flat. Um, and I fished it for, and I'd caught a lot of fish on that flat before. And, uh, I'm just curious, um, you know, what, what are the regulations for that? I mean, obviously we can look at the recreational and what we do. We obviously do a lot of damage by keeping a lot of fish and doing whatever, but on the commercial side of it, you know, is there, I mean, obviously these are their sanctuaries, right? This is where they live and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, they have all kinds of predators on them. Um, and obviously we're the biggest, uh, what are those regulations down there? Are you see, do you see that kind of stuff? Is that a big impact in what you see in your water? I, I mean, I, I, I'm to blame. Yeah. What, what state are you talking about? Well, this was Virginia. Okay. So I'm, and yeah, so I'm not familiar with Virginia um, regulations on gill nets. I honestly, I thought North Carolina was the only state that still had those issues. I can tell you from experience fishing buzzard, you know, some places in North Carolina, I don't want to throw names out, but, but fishing some places in North Carolina where I've seen gill nets, I can tell you that the, uh, they can keep, you know, because it's a game fish and it can't be sold, you know, commercially per se in a lot of states, they can keep this. The, the local state regulations. So in, in North Carolina, if they set a gill net and they catch 30 or 40 redfish, they're allowed to keep one of those redfish per person in the boat. The rest of them, they discard whether they're dead or alive. So that's the fish you're seeing dead on the bottom. Um, now 
that that could be opinionated on my end. Some people could debunk that, but I've seen it myself. I have in North Carolina. Um, my family had a home in up there in Southport and uh, in Oak Island area, and, and and I've fished around that area and seen that. But in Georgia, we're fortunate. We don't have gill nets. They're illegal here. We don't see that here. Um, I mean, our our biggest problem, and, and this goes back to what Tony was asking earlier as well as you, is kind of what we've seen. I think we've seen a combination of we're basically, in in my opinion, we're managing this fishery like a Ferrari. And what I mean by that is, is, is I see you shaking your head, so you agree and you understand. But what I mean by that is it, it, it's, it's to the pedal, man. And so anything that creates a hiccup, like a speed bump, has catastrophic, you know, catastrophic, you know, circumstances around what happens. So, you know, we had a lot of rain. I've heard some guys um, there's a couple guys here that I respect highly that have been fishing here for a very long time. <clears throat> One of them sits on the, uh, the fin fish, uh, panel and, and, you know, they talk about how much rain we've had and we have, man, we've had an astronomical amount of rain. When I look back at photos and videos on flats, you know, green, clean water, uh, years ago, and those same flats for the last several years are, are sweet tea, you know, that, that acidic you know, black water river color almost. And for those of you that are listening that aren't familiar with our coast, Georgia, at our 100 miles, we have five major river systems. We've got the St. Mary's, the Satilla, the Altamahal, um, the Savannah, and the Ogeechee, I think's right, um, that all dump out into, uh, into the Atlantic Ocean. So we've got a huge amount of sediment. That's why when Tony was talking about the, the plume that comes out, the sediment that comes out when they see big rains up there. I've been 30 miles offshore and the water's fresh on the surface. It doesn't mean it's fresh on the bottom, but it's fresh on the surface. So, you know, we've seen a, a culmination of things, over-harvesting, bad conditions during spawns. Um, you know, here we're in my local waters, we had, you know, a giant tanker, you know, a car, car carrier that rolled over and sat there for two years polluting. Uh, a, a 40%, 40 guys, I mean, think about that. I mean, 40% increase in pressure on our inshore waters alone in the last 10 years. Um, you know, our flats are still thriving with life, but I don't see as many shrimp as I used to see, not quite as many crabs. The oysters seem to be doing okay from what I can tell. There's areas where they've died off and there's areas where they've grown. But the problem is when you manage it like a Ferrari and and you have that stable, you know, stock of fish that comes in every year and then we get a hiccup the following year and we don't adjust then we see catastrophic problems like we saw in 2020 and 2021 and what we got to do is is we got to manage it sustain it sustain it long term i mean wouldn't you say tony is that what you guys are seeing up there so scott let me here's another thing that managers are it's just almost impossible to measure but we see it you're talking about you've been talking about a part of this podcast when the fishing is good more people go fishing <clears throat> give you an example you know 2006 the biomass of striped bass peaked there were like 27 million trips in one year where the number one target on the trip was a striped bass on the coast wow uh wow. last stock assessment that came out uh we're 25 percent below the target we're like i don't know i think 100 million pounds under the peak in 2006 there were 18 million trips so from 27 million we lost like 33 percent of the trips because yeah i mean that's huge it's just not as much fun to go 
So which, but follow me here. So what you're saying is, okay, we got a, we got a bunch of little fish. Here's an idea. Why don't we protect them for the next three years until they go out and they're 30 inches long and they join the ocean stock and they're safe once they get above the slot. If we just protect these fish and they make it to the spawning stock biomass, we're hedging our bets for the future for the next 30 years. You know, let's let's protect these fish through the system. That's what they did with stripers during the moratorium in the 80s. There was like one good year class. Then they the reg, they bumped the regulations every year to protect that year class. And that's five years after that year class became sexually mature. That's when we started seeing our record spawns. So that's right. I mean, if you don't have bulls, you don't have babies. I, I don't even know what to say. Like, you know, we, we can still kill. Well, up until last year, the regulations are changing this year. They could still kill big stripers. And, you know, you see somebody that's with like a 50, you see a guy with a 50 and you're just like, you know, I get it. I, I, I get it. But man, you should. There are not many of those left, you know, like you need to like if there was ever a point in time where you took one for the team, even though you wanted to keep it, let that damn fish go and blame. I didn't get back to your kind of gill net thing. So I know where you're fishing because it's just south of me on the on the other side. So those, believe it or not, watch Scott's head explode. Those gill nets or for like spot, Spanish mackerel, croaker, whatever kind of swims into them. And those redfish are bycatch. So like the commercial on That's the whole disgusting. East. See, I told you his head was going to explode. So you're wasting redfish. <laughs> you're wasting redfish to gillnet spot. Spot and juvenile wow. croaker. I just want to frame that. So it's, is, is there is there so is there a law where you can't do a certain thing with that, or is you can just go wherever you want and drop gill nets and just just decimate whatever you want? So v Virginia has pretty specific. The one of the one of the big problems is the longstanding problem, and our mutual friend Chris will tell you all about it. But those flats where you were, and a lot of the flats are in that area. They'll gill net. Listen, Scott, you want to do, they'll use these things called uh, stop nets. So imagine like if you know what a pound net is, imagine a pound net that's on a beach and you just, you stake it into the beach and you go out and you stake it a pretty good ways out and they put them in this time of year for speckled trout because our speckled trout migrate like yours live and die within a few miles of where they're born a ton of our speckled trout come from north carolina so they just follow that they follow the beach like back to north carolina well during the winter well, I mean, which you guys to get, get giants too oh yeah oh for sure no we get yeah yeah i mean you guys get giants i mean I, i've seen pictures of guys in virginia and up in the i mean it's just crazy at the size i, I never thought there were speckled trouts that big up there um, um you know especially when we see our average fish under 20 inches for the most part, you know, more along the lines of that 13 to 15 inch range. So I'd say like two years ago was probably the peak of speckled trout in Maryland. And wow. 
I can remember going out with two friends and I'd be willing to bet we caught a hundred and the smallest one was 20 to 22 inches. And I mean, there were some, there were some donkeys in there. There were some donkeys. We just got on them, you know? And I mean, I mean, for, for the guys that do maybe come across this podcast or listen to this podcast that are meat fishermen, or they're hiring a guide like myself to go fishing. The question I would have for them is in Georgia, would you rather go out, catch five redfish in six hours and put them in the cooler and take them home? Or would you rather go out and catch 60 to 70 redfish and let them go? What's the better experience? Because ultimately that's what people are hiring me for. I don't like the word experience. I don't like tour. You know, (laughs) we hear them all the time, but the bottom line is, is, we're in the show business and we take people out and show them a good time and a good time is catching fish. You know, I, I've, I've gotten to the point now where I tell people when they call wanting to fill a cooler up because we get plenty of those calls and I, I kind of giggle about it. And I talk to people and I try to educate them on the phone. I said, listen, I said, take your $800 and go to the grocery store for God's sake. You're going to get a lot more for that $800 at the grocery store than you're ever going to get on my boat fishing, even if we were to keep everything we're going to catch. And it's amazing at the tone in their voice, Tony, that, that changes. I mean, Blaine, I don't know if you, if, if you guide or not, but it's amazing at the tone in people's voice. They go, oh, no, 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 don't get me wrong. Now we want to catch fish. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. Do you want to just keep some fish or do you actually want to catch fish and enjoy yourself? And it always boils down to the same thing. People don't realize when they go fishing, they want to go out and catch fish. It's not about what you put in the cooler for most people. It really is. And that's the ego thing. And kids nowadays, Tony, it's hard enough to get them off the phone and the computer and the, and the video games and stuff. But we got to have fish out there to keep them busy. They're not going to go in today's day and age and stand in a boat, stare at a float, or throw a jig for more than 30 minutes and not catch nothing without being bored and being ready to go in. yeah it does yeah i mean everybody blaine's got a blaine's tyler six my son aj is 13 i have a skiff and a contender 13 year old stepson okay i got it so i got a skiff and a contender blaine called me um he just uh, we were joking i just come back from a hike he called me he called me when i was tossing back my son's last fish that he caught today because it's you know it's a holiday um and uh we were walking back to the house from the ponds not not from the bay which is right yep. there where you has more be. fun yeah it's where you should the be ponds he missed it. Right. he missed it all that's right so you know yeah, uh, i mean growing yeah it's painful man i mean it, growing you up know. it is and growing up guys you guys are are you know i mean it looks like we're probably in the same age group from my guess. But I mean, bottom line is, is you guys remember the old days, just like the guy that's 80 years old tells me he remembers the old days and anybody, I'm sure you guys have talked about that shifting baseline theory. Have you guys talked oh, about yeah. that, Tony? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, Listen, that's you the, see guys like yeah. this, look with like 20 inch stripers and they're like this, holding it up to the camera yeah. <laughs> you're like I, i'm not look i'm glad you like fishing i used to shake them off my fly and curse at them and call yep, them rats. because they just weren't 
Rats. Yeah. Rats. Amen. They were rats. Like, get away. Like, you buy you, man. I, you know, my friend yeah. got a caught a 40, and I'm I'm sitting here messing around with a 24. You know, get off the hood. And you're just you're, I mean, you're flipping loops in your fly line to shake them off. And people yeah. today are like yeah. Killer day on the old Chesapeake Bay, baby. And you're like, dude, that's <laughs> well, <laughs> oh I mean, we, we deal with that with the new guides, Tony. I mean, the new guides will come in and tell me, you know, oh my god, bro, you should have seen it today. It was epic. And I'm like, okay, yeah, well, how'd y'all do, man? He's like, Man, we I got on school like 20, 25 fish, and we caught like two. And I'm just I I just I don't know what to say anymore. Um, I, I mean, I I you know, Keith, Allen. Uh, the guy I'm supposed to fish tomorrow that that I bailed, I told him it's just don't come. Um, he hadn't fished with me about four years. He and I used to have 60 and 80 fish days on artificials, big reds. Now I'm not talking about rats in the creeks. I'm talking about big fish, and you know, it's crazy. I mean, Keith and I's last good day was in 2016 on the fly, and over a two day period, we caught 34 fish on the fly, and of the 34, okay, five fish, guys, five fish were under 10 pounds. That's the Georgia fishery we used to have. Yeah, that sucks. Yeah. Blaine, Blaine, all well, Blaine's thinking about that, right now is smallmouth. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I've been guiding for 32 years, and um, I, I'm not okay. guiding smallmouth bass in my waters anymore because <laughs> the clients that I've had for my entire career don't want to do it. Because, I mean, and then that's the whole thing, man. We have, we have, more guides here and I, I i wish them the best i really do i you know I, i'm not negative to that at all but for me that's been here since you know i've i've seen it how it should be and my clients have seen it how it should be and when you used to catch 100 bass a day it didn't matter who you had on the boat right and and you caught fish between 15 i mean it was i mean 15 to 20, 21, 22 inches. And that was every day. Uh, and now I, ha now, I mean, I've got clients that just like, man, I, I can't come and do that. I don't, I, I'm not going to go work my, I'm not going to come down here and, and fish to catch a dozen fish, maybe 20 fish on a good day. And uh, it's just, it's just like, it's depressing. And that's and why spend I joined, their money. Yeah. And that's why I joined it. Tony at ASGA and I want to make a difference. I want to make, I want to make people realize that haven't seen the glory days and they don't have any idea of what it really should be. And, uh, it just like what you just said, it's exactly why I'm here. It's exactly why I want to be a part of this. And it's a, it's exactly why I think we can really make a difference because people don't know if you don't know, you don't know. Yep. That's right. And that's the shifting baseline. I don't, I'm not saying we don't try, like if you said, we're all, looks like we're all three about, you know, same long, all long in the tooth, put it that way. So, uh, you know, the, the truth is man, like it has probably has to do with me being a little long in the tooth now, but it, it has an awful lot to do with what the experience is like today. I don't, I don't get that like predatory drive, man. When it was, no. when it was good, I'd be like, I wake up like an oh. hour before the alarm went off and you're like on and you're like triple checking everything. Everything's perfect. Getting ready to go out. Now it's just like, what the fuck? What am I getting up for, man? It's so hard to have the drive, man. It really is. Yep. We, we used to get up 
and purposely fish the coldest day of the year. Because redfish, the water gets super clear. Normally on those cold, cold days, it was glassed out, mirrored, and they would get as shallow as they could. Their tails would be bobbing out of the water. And I mean, it was just epic. Now, all I want to do is stay in the bed when it's that cold out and, and maybe cook a breakfast and, and sit in front of my fireplace. When I spin this around, you guys see that on the wall over there? You see the saltwater sportsman thing? Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's from two. That, that's from two thousand two, I believe. So what are we? Twenty two now. So tw- uh, twenty years ago, I did that article with Dave Lear. This is kind of a funny story. Uh, Dave is a is a very accomplished writer. He's written for a lot of uh, of magazines, Saltwater Sportsman being one, Motorboat. He does a lot of the Marlin stuff now. And, and I'll never forget uh, a guy had Dave contact me, and I took him out fishing. And the first four or five fish we caught on fly that day out of the first four or five two were well over 10 pounds you know 32 to 33 inch fish and this is fantastic because i was a young kid back then you know i mean this is you know 20 years ago i was five years six years into my guiding career and uh i remember telling dave when he made a big deal about these 10 pound fish i remember saying well dave that's you know that's kind of normal here and, and and Dave's an old salt. I love him to death. And he, he turned around and he looked at me and he said, Scott, don't ever tell your clients that a 10 pound redfish on the fly rod is a normal everyday catch here. <laughs> and uh, I'll never forget that. But but that's what it used to be like in Georgia. And, and it shocks me. I mean, I, you know, I did a show with CA Richards and he said to me one time, he said, Scott, this is second to Louisiana. I mean, we fished one day, his arms were sore. I mean, we pulled flats doubled up from the polling platform, the casting platform, those flats. Now I reached out to him recently was explaining to him about how it is now. And those flats have zero fish on them. And I'm willing to pull a map out because there are no secrets anymore and circle all the flats in my area, which, which stems from, and this is another thing, you know, these guys say, Oh, well, you know, you're having a problem in St. Simon's sound, but we don't have a problem up here, you know, in Ossobal or, or, up, you know, around Savannah and whatnot. I fish pretty extensively from St. Catharines to Amelia Island, which is a big portion. I mean, it's 75, 80% of our coast. And this is a coast-wide thing. There are areas where these guys are catching these fish in these creeks, but I've got guide friends of mine. Scott Dykes is up in, uh, in that whole, you know, St. Catharines, Sapelo area. You know, they've seen a huge decline in the fish up there. Rob Aldridge, my business partner, and I fish, you know, extensively around Cumberland and whatnot, huge decline in redfish there. I mean, the fish, the fishing is just not what it used to be. And, and I blame a lot of that on management. But in the same aspect, I think this coast has exploded, exploded so fast that, you know, CRD, Coastal Resources Division of the DNR, they've almost not even been able to keep up. And, and you know, I, I used to be angry about this and mad and disgruntled and just, you know, bash CRD and DNR and whatnot. What I'm realizing is, is right now they're trying to do the right thing. They really are. And and I commend them for that. I mean, Doug and the guy and the the, the biologists there that we know and the, and the people that are in charge of a lot of the stuff there, I see a light, but we're getting pressure now from politicians on something that shouldn't be political. Can either of you guys explain that to me? Do you guys see that in your fishery? (laughs) <laughs> okay I i'm guess sorry man <laughs> scott <laughs> that's my job 
I know we just met. Well, I, we just met, <laughs> man. And, and so I'm not a podcast host. My job is to fight against these the bad the bad people on like a so like so like you're you're a fishing guide, right? I'm like a politician yep, yep. guide. So like oh wow, you know if people really want well, to have a good day, and politicians. Catch a, What'd you say? <laughs> What'd you say? How do we steer politicians? Because oh, they man. seem to have their mind made up. So listen, here's the deal. I don't want to give away all my secrets, but I promise you. I'm paying. Every, Just tell me. Every, every email and every phone call their office gets that is polite and well-informed, they look at that as, depending on the size of the office and all that kind of, you like a, a politician in DC, they get a phone call or an email. They may consider that a thousand votes. You yep. see an op-ed and you see an op-ed in a newspaper. That's 10,000 votes. And it really pissed somebody okay. off. Right. So, yep. you know, there are levers that you can pull. Like when you mentioned earlier in the podcast, you said, you said, well, like, you know, this one guy comes in and he said, all 100% of his constituents are against this. And you said, well, I know some of his constituents and, and they're for this. Well, activate them, right? Get them uh, to go, yep. get them to go to that politician's pancake breakfast for $50 and sit down and look them right in the eye and say, we need to lower the limit on redfish, buddy. And, uh, and, and all of a sudden, now you're not just a constituent, you're a donor. So there's a lot. Mm-hmm. I mean, I we can talk, you know, this is this turned into a real long podcast quick. But the one thing that I can well, tell can you is it, like <laughs> the one thing I can tell you is uh yes, politicians always if there's money on the fish in any way. If it supports a commercial recreational economy, whatever, uh, yes, politicians yep. are always going to be involved. So let me. Yeah, I mean, I think if if you go to the go Department ahead. of Commerce website and you look at the GDP of the country, recreation, outdoor recreation, okay, is bigger than farming and mining together. The biggest component wow. of outdoor farming and mining, I think it's about 6% of the overall GDP, okay? If you look at- And I think that's biggest, just going up. No, absolutely. The biggest facet of outdoor recreation is recreational fishing and boating. The next, the next wow. highest one, the one that's closest to ours is exponentially lower in over economic value, but it's, uh, I think it's RVing. Um, that would be that that would be the one that's just under recreational fishing and boating. But so if you don't think that there's and then the commercial fisher, you know, everything, if you don't think that there is mega bucks behind this, it's it's uh, kind of unbelievable, really. It's huge. Um, yeah, and I, I know, I know there I know there's mega bucks. I mean, I know there are mega bucks behind it. I've seen the numbers, man. I mean, look at Florida, look at Georgia. I mean, the the amount of money that is spent on recreation whether it's fishing water skiing boating you know you say rving i've got clients that tow their rvs down here and stay at the state park at blythe island 
I mean, we're getting double revenue from them. I hate to look at this as a monetary thing, but it's a double whammy, man. The state's getting money. The local government's getting money. I mean, redfish and fishing in Georgia is a huge, huge boost to the economy here. I actually, Scott, it's funny that you you bring this up because I actually got a uh, I got a screenshot of um, I got a screenshot of some work that Georgia DNR did with Georgia Sea Grant, and they broke down the impact of the charter. I'm looking for it right now. Um, I got it right now. If you want to know the numbers, yeah, it was. It was staggering. You happy was, to read it off because I can't find yeah. it. Yeah, I'll read it. Yeah, I'll read it off for you. So the Georgia for higher fishing sector, which is basically me, when they call me and these surveys are done randomly, I get a you know a phone call or I get something in the mail from DNR. I fill it out. Basically, um, you know, they're responsible for six hundred and seventy jobs, about twenty eight million dollars in value added. And about fifty three point three million in output. I mean, those are. I mean, that's. Yeah, it's. I finally. We're like. I finally found it. So it also top five industries supported by four hires directly, uh, retail stores, retail sporting good, uh, commercial fishermen, bait, sport and athletic manufacturing, repair and maintenance. Boy, you ain't kidding. Repair and maintenance. So this isn't. yeah, no, absolutely. With the prices of, of boat repairs now, but break out another thousand, as they say. Um, you know, it, it's it's that's why it's just not the fishing community that needs to be behind this. Um, anybody that comes across this and listens to it, this isn't just about the guys like me and the guys like you that go fishing. This is about the restaurants, the hotels, the retail shops, the local government, and the local people, and the amount of money that it brings in. I mean, it's huge. It's huge. Well, you know, Scott, look, it's not even um, it. <laughs> you never want to make it. You never want to make it a money thing. And you know, we were talking about kids. You got a thirteen-year-old stepson. I got a thirteen-year-old son. Blaine's got a six, seven-year-old boy. Taught like it. It's about. It's it, the whole reason the guides association, our guides association, started is because I think collectively we know that we could have done better and we would like to leave something better for the next generation. I really think that's yep. why we started with the, with the catalyst being, we have to save striped bass. We can't afford another moratorium. We have to stop this before it gets to a moratorium. Um, well, so, and I couldn't agree more. I mean, I don't yeah. want to see closures, Tony. I mean, Blaine, yeah. I don't know about you. I mean, I, I think you don't want to see them either. I mean, and I think that's a, a misinterpretation of a lot of these, these, I want to call this a movement. I think people think that we don't want people to be able to keep fish. And that is completely 100% incorrect. What I don't want to see is a red snapper closure on my inshore fishery. And it could happen. It really could. And people don't realize that. Um, a fun fact, Tony and, and Blaine. If you take that three uh, fifty fifty three point three million dollars uh, in revenue, you know from the four hire, just for the four hire, keep in mind that's not recreational fishermen and what they're spending. That's just four hire. In a hundred mile coast, that's five hundred thirty thousand dollars per one mile. That's a pretty big number for one mile. I'm not sure how many redfish oh, yeah. will live in a mile, and, but, but if we, you're not if we saying, can figure that but, out. But Scott, you're not saying like, hey man. We're worth, 
you know, this much per mile, 500 grand per mile, give me a bulldozer and I'm going to flatten the marsh because I need to build another paint factory on the marsh nope. so we can so we can be worth another 500 grand for that mile. The crazy thing is is collectively up and down the coast there are pockets of all of us from different different places saying the exact same thing. That's right. The economy will That's thrive right. if the resource is healthy. We're not yep, asking you for you. we're just asking you to for to be healthy. Is that too like what yep, is what is wrong you, here? Do your we're saying do your job. I can tell you right? there's nothing. That's right. That's right. And there's nothing negative that will come out of a reduction in the creel limit on redfish. Nothing. Nothing. The only thing that can happen is our fishery get better and more people come to this coast and fish here because it's better fishing. I don't yeah, it's, I see Blaine down there going exactly. Um I don't want to do a sales pitch on this, but but I would love for your listeners to definitely go to to uh Georgia Saltwater Anglers uh you know association.org Georgia Saltwater Anglers Association.org and go to the uh get involved tab man because that's where you can sign a petition you can um you know you can send letters to the representatives you know the head of DNR and, and amongst some other people on the DNR board it can be passed on to them uh and I hate asking people to do stuff like that because I'm one of those people where I feel like you shouldn't have to ask. It should be that important. People should be like emailing you going, Hey, Tony, how do I do this? Like, I want to help these people. <laughs> Doesn't work that way, buddy. Blaine just found that out. Well, I'm learning. Does that. not work that I'm, way. I'm, you got to like, you yeah. you got to like shake, shake the change out of their pockets, man. Like, you know, I'm not even asking it, for money. I'm asking for a signature. Oh, no. You know, you might I as mean, well support it. You might as well, well be. We've been. I've, I, I just experienced that, man. Um, uh, we we just did a, a big promotion for the for the Albacore, false Albacore. You know, not much known about them, and you know, uh, just trying to be proactive about making sure that they're protected too. I mean, you know, it's a it's another crucial fish. No matter what you're doing, whether you're targeting them or marlin or whatever, it's uh, it's. It, I was shocked how hard we had to work to get a, a certain amount of signatures on a document. Um, I, I was, it, uh, it was an eye opener to be honest. Um, yeah, it, it, this has been that for me as well. You would think, you would think like when you first get into this, you're like, I'm gonna have 10,000 people. It's going to look like, look, going to look like convoy with the rubber duck behind me. And we're going to be all stretched all the way across America. And then you turn around you're like, where the hell is everybody? Like, did I take a where, wrong turn or something? At? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Wait a minute. Was I driving that fast? Like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's the whole percentage thing, you know, the the fisher you know the whole ten percent deal you know what I mean it's like ten percent of everybody's doing all the work or you know what I mean it's like you know eighty percent of the, the ninety ten rule yeah the ninety ninety percent of everybody else is just like in and out they got other things going on same deal with fishing right ninety percent of the fish are in ten percent of the water it's the same deal so uh that's where we are that that's what i saw and i'm like man this is going to be rough no no wonder everything's the way it is um but keep in mind blame that 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 90 10 rule on the fish that doesn't generally change 90 percent of the fish are in 10 percent of the water okay but think about this the number of fishermen that changes 
And that's what's crazy to me because there is truth to 10% of the fishermen are catching 90% of the fish. But as more people start fishing, that number goes up substantially. Whereas our fish stocks and our limits kind of, I mean, our limits obviously have stayed the same in Georgia for 20 years on, on redfish alone. But the fish stocks, and that's what DNR's data shows, is that, you know, these, these, these newly uh, introduced redfish, the new spawn, you know, between the gill nets and the trammel surveys that they've done, those, that line has stayed in their mind somewhat flat. We see a decline, but they, they see it as flat on their, since, you know, on their recent data. And I see what they're looking at. But it shouldn't matter because if that line stays flat and the number of people actually fishing goes up by 40%, man, the alarm should go off. I mean, it'd be different if we saw our juvenile redfish every year, that number starting to climb because hey, Blaine, we have more bull reds in the ocean. Blaine, tell Scott where all the cobia went. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Virginia right? Beach. He talked, to, he talked yeah, about right. cobia closures. Five, it's like a five fivefold exponentially not 40 percent five times the effort that it was 15 years ago in virginia and like every, all summer long all blaine and i talked about was like well i i wonder how much longer it's going to be until cobia are officially crashed right because yeah. you, you've never seen anything like it you've never i promise you yeah. i promise you you think the creek with 20 boats, man, you, you go out, you go out there in the summer on a Tuesday and you're like, Oh, I took the day off. I'm going to, I'm going to get after some cobias. <laughs> it's such a nice day. And you like come out around the Creek yes. and there's 300 <laughs> boats. I mean, just as far yep. as the eye can see boats. And you're like, Oh shit, shit. Like, what are we going to do now? You know, Scott, the amazing thing to me is that, you know, through this podcast, through what we do at our association, we're, there's like little pockets of resistance, right? And they're fighting for this or that. And, you know, what they love in their home, every single one of us is the same. And I'm, t I'm just telling you from my perspective, like, you know, you look at, you look at something that's regional driven, like Captains for Clean Water. It, it, I think if those guys woke up tomorrow morning and all the problems were solved, I think they would they would be the happiest people in the world not to have to do that part of their life anymore. And they just go back to guiding and everything's healthy again. You know what I mean? If you if I guarantee I know both I know both Chris and Daniel. And I guarantee yeah. you if it was all right, Chris would go oh, back yeah. to guiding tomorrow. Hundred percent, right? So like we're because because we deal with fish problems. Not like very specific, you know, identifiable habitat restoration, water issues. You know, this is we've identified the issue. This is how we can fix it. That's where captains is. We deal with fish policy. So it's like putting out wildfires in like 40 mile an hour wind. Right. That's kind of what it's like. You just kind of like jump from one thing to the next and try to save this fish and that fish. We don't have enough resources to even think about that. But, yeah, we're going to go help this fish. But what we found, right, with all y'all, is that every single one of you is the exact same. Exact same. I mean, cut from the same cloth, same story, exact same words. You could do like a like a psychiatrist from from Sloan Kettering, 
could could do a, a thesis paper on this podcast and said, how can these people all be the exact same that spread so far all, all over the country? Right. It's because the same stuff's happening, man. And it's the exact same story. Yep. Fish look a little different. That's about it. We catch them a little bit different yep. and the fish look a little bit different. But same story. Same story inland for Blaine. Yep. So, you know, October 25th, Georgia Saltwater, Georgia Saltwater Anglers Association is the website. Scott? Yeah, it's Georgia Saltwater Anglers Association.org. Okay. Click the learn more button. Hop on there. Send your emails in, right? I, I don't care if you're not from Georgia. If you care about this, these fish swim. They all they all add to the same stock. They're all out in the ocean. You can That's totally right. catch it in Virginia or Maryland. You know, Georgia has a, hu- a, a pretty robust tourism industry as, as per the document we were just looking at from Georgia Sea Grant. Send the emails in. Who cares? Who cares if nobody reads them? I don't care if nobody reads them. Still send them in. Them make yourself feel better in the morning. Um, go go to the website, click the link, and tell these people. You know, it's okay to harvest some fish, man, but they're, they're pretty damn important if they're in the water too, right? Pretty damn yep, important if right. they're in the water that's too. Right. So, Scott, it has been a hoot. We thank you very much, Blaine. Thank you for joining me. Um, I'll, I'll see you on here, Blaine, real shortly, uh, tomorrow, tomorrow night, we'll tape another one. And Scott, we're always here to help. Um, just let Excellent, us know guys. what we well, can well, do. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Let us know what we can do. You know, we have, we have a great relationship with all I your mean, guys. Let us know. Well, come down and visit us sometime. Uh, be glad to have you guys on the boat and, you know, everybody that's listening, please help us out and get involved. Because like I said, and, and like Tony said, and Blaine was saying, like fish don't know state lines. Our fish are your fish. I mean, the reason why you guys are seeing redfish further north, there's a reason for it. Call it global warming or call it a better ocean stock or or whatever it may be. But we got to protect this because it, it's just not uh, it's not one of those things. It's just infinite. It's not it's not all all or none. It, there is an end to this if we don't if we don't as stewards of the the estuaries and the fishery protect it. And I think that's pretty much how we end end every podcast. Thank you all for listening. Help our friends in Georgia get off your ass, send an email. Uh, it, it doesn't, doesn't, won't cost you a thing to hit the send button on your Gmail account. We'll see you on the next episode. 